Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Okay. So it's the, it's the Dorman thing again. So it's interesting. Uh, you think, well, that's simple and that's not really much gospel kind of thing. I went and uh, we've had a very eventful two weeks. Thanks for letting us be gone last week to the or week before last to the T4G conference up in Louisville. I am fired up. I hope y'all enjoy it. I hope, I mean, I, w- I was looking to go somewhere to get fed, and I'm telling you what, those guys rocked and rolled. It was really cool. But we had a, v- a very eventful time. We had a, a, one of uh, our cars got totaled, and uh, so we had to get a new car. And uh, sitting there at the dealership and talked to this lady and, of course, mentioned that I'm pastor of a church. You get two reactions when, you're, when people find out you're pastor of the church. They either sort of sneer and turn you off or they tell you everything that's ever happened in, your li- in their lives. And this lady was in a position that she needed to talk to somebody. And we had us a little counseling session there at the, uh, at the dealership. Guys, you never know. Holding the door for somebody, you never know. You never know when God has made a divine appointment for somebody to hear his name. So don't think it's silly. Try to hold the door, be nice to somebody, and you may find yourself in a conversation that ends up changing somebody's life. So that's the goal this week. Um, the uh, We're going to pray in just a second before we go anywhere, y'all. Many of you probably know Libby Harden and Ronald Rogers were in a very severe car accident. I just got a text from uh, uh, Bobby Wynn, her daughter, uh, Libby's daughter, just a few minutes ago that said that she is not doing well again, and so she wants us to pray, and so we're going to stop and pray for them, among other things, in just a few minutes. But we want First Baptist to be a place where people find Jesus and give Jesus away, and one part of finding Jesus is attending worship services. And you get a special uh, special little treat because it seems to rain every Sunday morning lately. I just want y'all to know that's what Methodists feel like. That sprinkling that happens. I thought that was really bad. Anyway, just pretend you're Methodist and come on in. It'll be all right. Uh, I want to welcome everybody here this morning And most especially welcome those of you who are our guests today. We pray because God has called you to be in this place this morning. We pray that God will touch you and you will find Jesus in the worship service. And this week we want you to give Jesus away by doing the Wheel of Service project, by being a doorman for somebody. We are for Jones County, so make sure you do your best to do something for Jones County this week because Jesus is for Jones County. Try to do something this week to show Jesus to the world. Let them see him through you. Now let's join together and pray. We've got a couple of things that we want to pray about in particular this morning. I ask you to just bow your head if you want to. Lean forward in your pew. Uh, Don't just sit. Let's engage in prayer this morning and let's approach the throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel that changes our lives. We thank you, Lord, for, the, for Jesus that came and lived his life, was crucified, died, buried, and resurrected. And because of that, we are changed. And we, we have new life, and we have a new hope. 
And Lord, I pray that we all become heaven-minded people, that we see where we're going and understand that where we are in life is just a very small portion of what our eternity is going to look like. I thank you, Lord, that you have arranged life so that we can come to you and talk and ask you for the things that your children have on our minds. And Lord, we pray this morning for Libby and for Ronald. Lord, you can heal Libby. Right now it looks, from our perspective, it looks very, very bad for her. She's got a lot of things going against her. But Lord, the biggest thing that she's got going for her is that she knows you as her Lord and Savior. And Lord, no matter what happens to her, she wins. If you call her home, she wins. She gets to see the heaven that she's heard of. And if you leave her here, Lord, she, she wins because she's got so many people that love her and are looking to, to take care of her and to enjoy her presence again. Lord, Ronald's the same way. I had the pleasure of baptizing him not too awfully long ago. Came to know you late, but Lord, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Still your child. And we pray that you heal him and make him strong again, Lord, and, and help him work through his feelings of, of worry because he was driving the car that, that caused the accident. I pray, Lord, you take care of them and you give them comfort and strength. And Lord, you know it's been a long time since we've had a minister of music. We've had Kathy, who has filled in very, very ably, done a very good job. We have the praise team that does a very good job every week in the chapel. But Lord, your church is hungry, and they want a person that comes that will love them and will be dedicated to leading us to praise you in song and in drama and in every other way that we can worship you as well as preaching, Father. We're hungry for that person. And Lord, we have, we have talked about what we want so much that I, it, it, it worries me that we may have gotten focused on us and not on you. That Lord, we're concerned about what we were looking for and we haven't sought your face enough. Father, we want what you want. We want only what you want. That you want a person, Lord, for whatever purpose in this church, we know that you're wanting to call somebody to exalt Jesus so he would be lifted up and draw people to him. And Lord, we confess this morning that we probably thought about ourselves too much. And Lord, we know that's sinful. So forgive us of that. And help us this morning to cry out to you. And all this week, your people cry out to you that you would lead us to the person that you want us to have, that you have chosen, that you have already called out from the beginning of time. They're ready. And we are too. Lord, I pray in this hour we worship you and exalt your name and lift your name up. I pray, Lord, we get a renewed vision this morning of what... Of what it means to be saved that we would understand that there is a joy that's that is real and it's not simply an academic exercise something that we've learned forever but in our hearts would burn an emotion that says that we are saved we are sons of God daughters of God and it means something and it changes our lives please father this morning Hear our worship, hear our praise. Cause us to listen to the words that we sing 
Help us to overlook anything that could distract and let us see you. In Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. John 12, 20 through 36. Hear what the word of the Lord says to us this morning. It said, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, but what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that's why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. And others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus responded, this voice came not for me but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever, so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little while longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light... Believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then it went away and hid from them. Now over my years of being the pastor here at First Baptist and being the the interim at First Baptist, I've had a number of people that have uh, mentioned to me over these years the the length of my sermons. Uh, Generally in a, whoo, that was long kind of, idea and I went to the Together for the Gospel concert, uh, Conference in Louisville, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I'll get it there in a minute. Uh, Bo and I went to this and I've got to admit to you now that I, I repent and I would do it in sackcloth and ashes but then I really would look overweight. The, uh, the speakers there uh, made a real good point. There was a guy by there by the name of Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler was sick, and he said when he got into the pulpit that he had been sick all week long and, uh, and, and didn't know how long he could stay on the pulpit and how long, uh, how long he could speak. In each one of the plenary sessions where everybody got together, every one of the speakers was given at least one hour to speak. And Matt got up and he preached a dynamite sermon. My goal is to be as good as the worst one of those guys. They were spectacular. But Matt preached and he preached for 35 minutes and then he got off the stage. He left us with a little bit of time. 
Well, they had a little wrap-up panel discussion every day. And in the wrap-up panel discussion, they, they discussed Matt's sermon and how well he did. And one of the guys said on that panel, said, See, you can even drive home good gospel points in a short sermon. 35 minutes long, short sermon. I repent. I have shortchanged y'all. And going forward, what I plan to do is add a minute a week until I get to 45 minutes or an hour every week. (laughs) No, I'm not really going to do that. Sometimes, y'all know, I do go a little bit longer than that. About 30 minutes is, is where I'm at. But these guys, it was incredible. These guys, each one spoke for an hour, and it was like it was five minutes long. They were absolutely incredible. Time is what we're going to be talking about this morning, not length of sermon or necessarily length of days, but for the events that time brings. In the scripture that we read just a few minutes ago, time is mentioned four times. There are four different times that are mentioned in that scripture that we read just a few minutes ago. Now to set the stage, it's a very festive week in Jerusalem. Daniel did a great job last week of portraying what was going on that that ushered in this week. It's working up towards the crucifixion. It's Passover week. People are coming from everywhere. They're very, very excited to be in Jerusalem. It's like getting ready for Thanksgiving or Christmas and everybody's cooking and everybody's getting together and seeing family. It's really a great time. Jesus is somewhere, Scripture doesn't tell us, he's somewhere other than with Philip and Andrew. And these guys, these Greek guys, came up to Philip and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Probably came to Philip because Philip is a Greek name. And we tend to sort of go to people that are like us. So he goes to Philip. Philip goes to Andrew, which is sort of cool because Andrew, Andrew has a habit of doing something. Billy Graham, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. In the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, several years back, they had this uh, program called Operation Andrew. And what this program was designed to do was to get people, help churches to get members to invite their friends and their family to come to church. It was called Operation Andrew for a reason. When you read through the scriptures and you see Andrew, Andrew is bringing somebody to Jesus. That's what Andrew does. When he met Jesus the first time, he went and got Simon Peter. And brought him to Jesus. They're on the mountainside going to feed 5,000 people. Jesus says, boys, we got to get some food for these folks. And everybody's going, you know, 200 days worth of work wouldn't be enough to pay for the bread to feed these people. Andrew comes up with the kid. Five loaves, two fishes that Jesus uses to feed everybody. And now these Greek guys are here. We want to see Jesus. Philip brings them to Andrew. And Andrew brings them to Jesus. Now, here's the time reference. When that happens, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The time is here. The time is here. We know because we've read it that from the beginning of time, our salvation was planned by God. From the beginning of time, your name was known 
Our salvation was planned from the very beginning of time. We know that. Literally planned. Literally mapped out. God had a strategy to make sure that we had the opportunity to live with him forever. And now that time has come. It's time for that plan to unfold. God has a time planned for everything. Now we're not going to go through this is sort of a little thing that came up to me later that I want to throw out there. I want you to think about it, but it's not the main purpose. I just want you to think about this. Jesus understood Jesus understood what time what time it was in his life. He understood that the time for teaching and all that was over. Now it's time to go to the cross. He understood that now it was time to fulfill the destiny that he had been called for, that he was going to be crucified, he was going to die, he was going to be buried, he was going to be resurrected from the dead so that the sins of the world could be laid on him and buried forever and people would have a chance of salvation. He knew what time it was in his life. Do you know what time it is in your life? Do you know what time it is in your life? If you are a young person, the time of your life, it is time for you to learn. It's time for you to be under the responsibility of your parents. If you're going to college or you're starting a career, it's a time for you to begin to do things. Not to be yet, but you're learning and you're doing. When you get married... That's a different time. Now you can't do the things you did when you were single. It's a different world. Life has to change. When you have children, life changes even more. And all of those college things that you've done, all of those years that were so much fun, now it's time to put those things behind you because now you've got some little rugrats that you've got to raise and take care of. They are depending on you to feed them, to clothe them. And if you don't do it, they die. They're depending on you to show them that they are super important in your life so they can get a picture of what it looks like with God. Dads, when the kids look at you and somebody says, God the Father, what image is pulled across? And if you're a son of a gun, what kind of image do they think they have of God? I'm telling you, gentlemen, we get to that point, what time in our life we have to make some changes. And then you become a grandparent. And I understand that grandparenting is a whole lot better than parenting because you can send the little brats home to mom and dad after you've spoiled them rotten. I see the smiles on y'all's faces where the parents look harried and worried and the grandparents got all these smiles going on. And then after, later on, you realize there's a different time of your life. And you get older and you start realizing that, that we're just about off the runway in times of... Do you know what time it is in your life and are you living in it? Something to think about. Are you living, are you living in the time that your life is supposed to be in? Jesus understood that it was time for him to do what he was supposed to do. Now look at verse 31. It says, now... Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Time is mentioned twice here. Now is the judgment of this world. I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again and again and again because any time, just about any time the word judgment is mentioned here, it comes from the same Greek word, and that Greek word is crisis. That's the Greek word, crisis. That's the word that our English word crisis comes from 
not hard. Now, crisis, we look at crisis as something bad happens to somebody. They had a crisis in their life. That's not what a crisis is. A crisis is anything that brings you to a point of having to make a decision. That's what judgment means here. That's what crisis means here, is that you are brought to a point where you are required, you are required to make a decision. And what Jesus is saying right here is now the crisis of the world has come. Because of what I am about to do, now because I am going to be obedient and I am going to go to the cross and I am going to be crucified and I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried and I'm going to be resurrected, from this moment in time going forward, everyone that hears that story and knows that story has to make a decision. Will I follow Jesus or will I not? That's the crisis. That's the judgment. That is, that is what has come into the world because of what Jesus is doing, that everybody that hears that will have to choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. This crisis belongs to each and every one of us except for one person, and that's the next time. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan has no choice. Do you understand that Satan's favorite tool is death? That is his favorite tool. Why did Satan come? Why is Satan here? What does the Bible say about Satan? He steals, he kills, and he destroys. What is his desire? He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care if you're rich and famous or whatever. What he wants to do to you is he wants to steal you from God's creation. He wants you to die so that you will be destroyed, so that you will be locked away from God forever because his determination, his thing that he wants to do is to bring as much dishonor on God as he can. He wants to hurt God as much as he possibly can. And the thing that's going on in our world right now, at least I think so, the reason things seem to be getting crazy so much all of a sudden and people are confused about who's a boy and who's a girl and they're confused about what's right and what's wrong and we see all manner of evil going on everywhere we go is because Satan understands that the clock is ticking and it's ticking real loud right now. Have y'all ever been in a situation where you're anticipating? Now, some of y'all, this ain't going to mean nothing to. Because y'all have never heard a tick-tock clock in your life. Everything is digital. I understand that. But for those of you who are old coots like myself, there was a time where the clock ticked. And you'd have the wind-up clock, and it would sit by your bed, unless you couldn't sleep and then it would go tick 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 and then you'd notice that it's six almost six o'clock the alarm's about to get off for you to go to work or go off for you to go to work and it's about 5 30 and at that time it's going tick 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 there's no way you can go to sleep that's what satan's hearing it's quit being tick tick and now it's loud It's getting louder all the time because he knows that now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Listen to Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them 
was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The third mention of time is fulfilled right here where the devil is cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever. He is a finite being. He will attack. He wants to take people and get them away from God, but his power is limited. God already has a plan that he will be removed from all eternity. You have nothing to be afraid of. You're not his if you're Jesus, if you belong to Jesus. But the Revelation Scripture answers the fourth mention of time. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 35. The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. Walk while you have the light because one day you will not. Walk while you have the light because one day you won't. One day your time will be over. One day the crisis will be passed. One day time stops. We live as though we're immortal. Y'all remember when we were young? Some of you are still young. You're making these memories now. The aches and pains I've got, I've told my doctor, I enjoyed getting these aches and pains. My back hurts, my hip hurts. That's probably because I slid into bases. I jumped off of things. I hiked up things. I unloaded trucks. I worked real hard. I deserve the pain that I've got now. Those things are supposed to happen. We live as though we're immortal when we're young, but we're not. Job tells us, Job tells us, since a person's days are determined and the number of his months depends on you, God, and since you have set limits, he cannot pass. He says here that the days are determined. The number of months you live is already determined by God. There is a limit on you that you cannot pass. There's a moment that it's going to stop. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have been counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many, many sparrows. Hairs of your head have all been counted. Some of them is a quick ad. But the hairs of your head, do you think that's hyperbole? You know that he's just saying that, you know, God knows everything, even the hair of your head. Do you think that's hyperbole? I don't think it is. Because, see, if God is God, then he has to know his omniscience can have no boundaries. There is nothing trivial that God does not know. 
God knows everything that's going to happen. God cannot be surprised by anything. If he's surprised by something and has to go, oh, well, what do I need to do here? Then he ceases being God. God is omniscient. There is nothing outside of his control. There is nothing outside of his knowledge. There's nothing that can take him by surprise. There is nothing that causes him to scratch his head. That's one of the attributes of God. It's one of the personalities of God, that he's omniscient. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing hidden. There is nothing. He knows that one day there will be no more time, and he's got a plan for that. He's planned from the beginning that it's going to end like Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's going to come a time when all the choices of earth that need to be made, there's going to come a time where there will be no more choices. There will be no more time when the crisis of what to do with Jesus will have passed. Never will anyone ever again have to decide what to do with Jesus. Time will be over. There will be no more chances. There will be no more chances. It's done. Al Mohler spoke. I have never heard Al Mohler speak. He's the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, or as all of those highfalutin people say, the Southern Baptist Seminary. Somebody in their wisdom named it Southern Baptist Seminary, and since we're Southern Baptists, that makes them the Southern Baptist Seminary. Bo graduated from there. Laura graduated from there. That explains a lot. So here you go. Al Mohler speaks. Never heard him speak before in my life. The man cranked, and what he talked about was morality. And his point, as he talked about morality, he preached... From 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, through 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, that's a lot of Scripture. He read every verse before he began, and as he preached through it, he reread it to us again as he went through. It was really, really good. And one of his primary observations, and I want you to take this home and think about it. One of his primary primary observations was, in our culture today, The only morality that's left is consent. I want you to think about that. The only morality that's left is consent. I want you to think about the Me Too movement. He was talked about that. Talk of the Me Too movement, whether you've got men, mostly men that are doing things to women, or a few women that have done a few things to men. It doesn't matter who's doing what. What makes the, the situation that they're involved with wrong is that the other person didn't consent to it. If they had consented, it didn't matter. Everything would have been fine. So see, if they consented to have sex outside of marriage, That's okay as long as both of them agreed to do it. If they agreed to have an adulterous relationship, that's okay as long as both of them agreed to it. If a man and a man and a woman and a woman or a whatever and a whatever want to do whatever and whatever, it's okay as long as they both agree to it. Tell me that's not correct. It is correct. That's the way we look at it now. As long as someone consents, Both parties consent, you can do whatever you want to. 
And I was talking about that to somebody this week, and they said, yeah, but see, here's the problem, Randy, is that these folks, the people in the world, do not believe in God. And my response to that is I understand that, but it makes no difference. Just because you don't believe in God does not negate God. Do you understand? Just because you say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe there is a God, doesn't change the fact that there is a God. See, when Jesus said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he didn't put a, well, it's okay if you don't believe in that caveat. It doesn't say that at all. The hour has come. The hour has been planned before Jesus created the world. The hour has come. The moment has brought judgment to the world. It brought a crisis for every person who ever would be. Why do you think? Think, people. Think when you come to church. Think. Why do you think that these folks are working so hard to stop Christianity? And I know there are people that say, well, there's not a war on Christianity. Oh, yeah? Let me help you understand something. Ministerial housing allowance. It's been around for a bajillion years. The Freedom From Religion Foundation just put a lawsuit in to get rid of the ministerial housing allowance because it is an establishment of religion and it was upheld in one court and we believe that in the next five years the ministerial housing allowance is going to go away. That's going to hurt me, it's going to hurt any pastor that's, that's a pastor because it affects the way our, our salary and our taxes operate. But the point of this is, is who cares about that? Well, the freedom from religion foundation does they care about whether we pray in the wrong place or we say the wrong thing why why do people want to silence Christianity we make all these noises about well they don't say anything about Islam or Buddhism or Hindu why Christianity it's a it's a very simple question when Jesus came and he died and was buried and resurrected, he erected a monument in time that everyone that ever lived has to deal with that. You have no choice. You have to deal with that. Either you choose to follow him or you choose not to follow him or you choose to put it off until Satan wins and brings you to death and you're destroyed. But you have to make that decision. How do you get when somebody forces you to make a decision that you don't want to make? Now, I can tell you right now, I get a little grumpy. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, but you need to, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, but you need to, I don't think you understand what I said. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, but you said, you need to get out of here. I'm tired of talking. When you go, you, a lot of you have Uncle Harold or Aunt Maud that does not want to talk about Jesus or religion. Y'all told me. And you mention that to Harold or Maud, and they get all bent out of shape and get all angry, and they, ooh, it'll ruin a Thanksgiving dinner that fast by bringing up Jesus because Harold and Maud's going to get upset. But you know, Harold and Maud get upset about all kinds of other things in the world, and they let water, let it roll off their back like water off a duck's back. That doesn't matter. But when you mention Jesus, that's when they get upset. Why? Because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with it. And yet Jesus says in his word that everyone has 
to deal with it. Everyone from the moment, this moment in time, his hour has come, it demands a response from everybody. And you notice here Jesus doesn't say anything about you're going to die and go to hell, you're going to burn in the pit. Jesus doesn't say that he doesn't need to. You see, his very act of grace, his very act of grace becomes the crisis point in world history. God came to earth in the man Jesus. He explained how life is supposed to be lived. He lived how life is supposed to be lived. Then he was crucified. He was buried. He he died. He was buried. He was resurrected. You don't have to believe that, but you can't take the crisis away. And the fact that you make that decision to not follow him or you make the decision that you're not going to decide condemns you not God it's not God your decision condemns you we sing an old hymn whosoever will may come that's what Jesus says if if you refuse it's by your decision Revelation 2015 says anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire And we hear people say, a good God would not send somebody to hell. And a good God doesn't. He merely says, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. If you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then you are mine, you are protected. Satan can't touch you eternally, and you will live forever in heaven with me. You'll have eternal life now. You will... Learn to have joy in this life in no matter what situation you're in. If you follow me and if you don't, you'll reap the reward of that too. That's just the way it is. God doesn't send anybody anywhere. Every man and woman have the same crisis. What do I do with Jesus? You choose of your own volition based on God's options where you're going to spend eternity. Now here's what I want you guys to do. For those of you who are Christ followers, what I want you guys to do, I heard this this week, and this was, a, this was the coolest thing. It sounds so simple, but it was the coolest thing. I'm listening to a podcast from one of the old T4G conferences, and the guy's talking to preachers because preachers can get a little discouraged every now and then, and he's telling them, okay, guys, here's some things to do. You need to think about this. And he said, before you preach the gospel, listen, I want you to do this. Listen, are you listening? Give me a little something. Let me just, I, you know, I, those of you who sleep, stay there, but everybody else, okay, it's good. Now, here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. He said, before you preach the gospel to anybody, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because here's what it reminds you of. Number one, I'm a child of the king. There's nobody that can touch me. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to, that I have to show anybody. I've got nothing to hide. I'm just me. That lady I talked to the other day was talking about a preacher that had done some stuff to her that had, had, had caused some issues in her life. And my response to her is, hey, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. I'm called by God to deliver his word. I do the best I can. If you want to hold me up higher than that, that's your fault, not mine. That's all we are. I have eternal life. And one of these days, listen, listen, this is where we're missing something. One of these days, we are going to pass out of this life into a life that we have no clue how glorious it's going to be. We don't have a clue. 
See, people have hijacked it and made us think that we're going to be made into angels when we die and we're going to play a harp. You ain't going to be made into nothing. God tells us that the angels are envious of you because of what Jesus did for you. You're going to go to heaven one day. I don't think there's going to be a harp, and I'm not sure they're going to let some of you sing. But I know this that we are all going to be in a new heaven and a new earth that is going to be Eden restored on earth. It's going to be Eden and we're going to live with Jesus forever, not just seeing him off somewhere, but he is going to be in a relationship with us then. We are going to, we haven't got a clue what it's going to be like. We can talk books, read books, do everything we want to in the whole wide world. We have to understand that the gospel was written for us to know that God is not mad at you. That God loves you more than anything else in this world. That you can be the most ridiculous jerk on this planet. But if you tell Jesus, I want you to save me and be my Lord and I'm going to follow you, then everything's wiped out and off you go and you have a glorious ending coming. Except it don't end. Preach the gospel to yourself every day so you understand the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus, the freedom to be alive. Quit worrying about everything. Quit worrying about following every rule. You're breaking rules by trying to follow the rules. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and let him lead us. The time has come, he said, for the Son of Man to be glorified. You have a crisis that faces you. What am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to ask him to be my Lord and Savior? Have I asked him to be my Lord and Savior? Am I going to say no to him? Or am I going to put it off until Satan one day comes, takes me to death where I will be tormented for eternity? all my choice all my choice pray with me father god i fear for the people of first baptist and the people of jones county many people live like i've lived they live obliviously happy living day to day they struggle to make ends meet struggle to create a nest egg to educate your children to give your spouse what you think would make him or her happy doing the best we can not to rock the boat with friends and family and church and doing what we think best to be good people so that when we think of you, we don't feel guilty and other people will look at us and say, oh, they're such a good Christian person. Our good outweighs our bad, tricking ourselves into believing that how we live defines our relationship with you, Father. Please, please, Lord. Cause your Holy Spirit to sweep across your people. Convict us of our sin. Confront us with the crisis of the cross. Do not let your precious creation, the creation that Jesus shed his blood for, to enter into eternity thinking we are found when we are lost. Father, it scares me to say it, but crush our pride suck the arrogance from our being away from us 
confront us with the pettiness of our concerns and our likes and our dislikes and stand us this morning before a holy God uncovered and alone. Cause us through your divine infinite love and grace to call out to Jesus to save us and then assure us of our salvation. Please, gracious God, be merciful to us, your creation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Invitation is this. Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth. He showed us how to live. He was obedient to death. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, heaven must be spectacular for Jesus, Jesus to say, it will be worth having nails driven through my hands and my feet for my back to be beaten to a pulp, for me to hang on a cross and suffocate. The end must be glorious for him to want to do that. He said, for the joy, the Bible says, for the joy set before him. Christians, we need to understand the joy that's set before us. This is real, people. This isn't something to believe in church. This is something that has to affect your very life, that makes you want to open the door for somebody so that maybe they'll see Jesus somewhere and the world could be a little bit better because of that. It's what motivates us. And if you, if you have not made that decision that that crisis thrusts in your face, now's the hour. When you put it off, Satan wants you to do that because he hopes that the day will come that you will die never having made that decision. And that's one more strike in God's face. That's what he wants. Take this moment. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and cry out to him and say, I need a Savior, I need my sins forgiven. Well, I have an invitation hymn. What we always do is if you've made a decision for Christ, come forward and tell me. We'll talk about it. If you want to join the church, you can. If you want to pray, for heaven's sakes, you had not got to sing. It won't hurt Kathy's feelings if you don't. Pray. You've got family members, you've got friends who if the time came for them to go home today, they will spend eternity with Satan being tormented in a lake of fire. Is that what you want for them? Harold and Maud in your life that will raise Cain if you mention Jesus, pray for them. They need Jesus and we need to see what Jesus is doing for us. Would you stand as we sing?